Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, all your risk takers and truth seekers to podcast live, the battlefield from victim to victim. And today I have a true pleasure to host an interview, my own mentor. Trust me, it's not difficult to understand why is my mentor, apart of being a professor, he's a great human being who gave me the show me the pathway for me to be better me. Clive. Welcome to the secret location. Thanks, Mario. For the, for the yeah, it's diffi- difficult to find it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a dress locker. I knew you gonna select. For those, all of those who don't, you don't know, uh, I'm gonna put in comment section below how you can contact Professor Clive Smallman. By the way, Professor Clive Smallman is a truly individual of the the the. the, the I can explain how big heart heart a person is. He helped me to write one of my books which a lot of credibility, authority, he put it himself, I uh, call the corporate and workplace investigations. So feel free to go on Amazon and uh, give the thumbs up. And as well, Professor Clive Smallman published some books. Anyway, enough of our books. Today, we should say what we're going to learn today. Why you should not use chat GPT. <laughs> Professor Clive Smallman is an expert in artificial intelligence. Clive, quickly, who is a Clive of wicked problems? Clive of Wiki Problems. The Clive of Wiki Problems started out um, actually in an earlier version of this podcast in Parramatta Park. Yes, that's correct. Yes, would okay. Be about 12, <laughs> would be about 12 months ago. That's correct, Clive. Yes, yeah. And my dear friend rang me up and said, um, Can you come and talk to me about um, are we approaching uh, the most dangerous point in history? And um, Noam Chomsky had yes. said that. And uh, I said, Yeah, sure. And he said, we'll talk about a number of other things as well. Yeah. So we did on that day. Um, How right you were. And then about, would have been probably a few months after that, one of my mentors, Matt mm. Church, would be discussing where I was going to go with my, mm. my practice, what I do. And he said, you, you've worked with risk and crisis management. You've worked with all this. Why don't you write about what it's like to solve really difficult problems? And I sat down and thought about this. And I thought, difficult problem to do. <laughs> Hang on a minute, she's talking about wicked problems, which happens to be what I was talking with Mario about. Yeah. From there, um, it sort of uh, revolved and went round and round and round, and eventually I got to wicked problems, and I came up with the idea of sorted. And sorted is my model for dealing with wicked problems. It's how I coach people in dealing with problems, how I mentor. And sorted is London slang. Some of yeah, you will have seen. I was watching it the other night. One of Guy Ritchie's films with, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the London, the, the British actor, uh, the action star. I forgot his name now. Jason Statham. Jason Statham, yeah. And, and you know they've got that sort of like, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. More, and yeah. and one, of the things, <laughs> one of the things they say is what? Yes. Sorted. Sorted, yeah. And I thought sorted. And I sat down, I just out, wrote, wrote down sorted. Yes. And then I was, I'm working on my coaching skills at the moment. And some of you will be familiar with the, with the GROW acronym. Mm-hmm. Goals, reality, objectives, and way forward. Yep. GROW. Um, and I suddenly, get, and I thought, well, hang on a minute. For dealing with big problems, you want to know what the situation is, what your objectives are. This was all done in my spa at home, by the way. You want to make it's true. Situation, objective, yeah. reality, uh, Templates, yeah. what's the plan? So you're going to sketch yeah. a plan, a template for it. Execution, you execute the best-looking template you've got. Yes. And then you develop the solution and your problem-solving skills sorted. 
Yes. And that's how we take people from... People, when they face these things, there's fear of failure, um, which is, you know, how am I going to live up to people's expectations of me? Yeah. They are wicked problems, so they're complex or chaotic. Yeah. Uh, and there's lots of them about, and you're going to ask me about a particularly chaotic one. Of course I will, of course I will, yes. Or they're going to lose investments or innovation money that they put into those. And so by taking them through that process and getting them away from some of the barriers they have to coaching or mentoring, then we get them over the fence. And so by the time they're finished, they, we've got people who are better problem solvers. Um, they... Uh, they secure their investments, so there's no longer that double jeopardy. And so that's how we approach it. But it, it all came out of two conversations. Two conversations. The one with you. Yeah. Okay. And then a later one <laughs> with another mentor. Yeah. And the book will be out later this year. I can't wait. Uh, you know, I, I must share something very, very close to my heart to all of you guys. I want you to understand that in life you're all going to want – want to be to be something and we want to be noticed or we want to be famous and um, whatever, you know, rich and healthy list goes on for everybody's a different. And I didn't know what I want in my life, but I'm, I'm thankful that after struggling my life to understand who I am, that uh, Professor Smallman told me very simple statement is not who you are by nature, but who you are by nurture. And, you know, I was nurturing myself with the bullshit people around myself and, the, you know, the bullshit stories and, convincing myself that I'm going to, you know, one day achieve this and this and this. But thanks to the Professor Smallman, I learned to speak English, so I go on radio. You know, but, you know, this is a small thing for other people maybe, but for me it's a big, big, it's a, what they call this uh, quantum leap, you know. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the being on radio, write a book, being critiqued, and then most importantly, uh, told by uh, Professor Smallman to go into school. And I'm very thankful because I'm now, very few few small steps before my master's uh, be completed, and I'm very thankful. And Clive, we're facing last three years different times anybody could anybody could expect it. You know, I mean, like you know, there was no risk management budgets for this. You agree with me? Yeah, we spoke about this. So, like you know, I have a few questions, but let me start first one. I got a T-shirt from Professor Small on Skynet. <laughs> my fear was a Skynet gonna rule the world, and. Uh, Clive told me, nah, don't worry, it's just... But we today have in the studio, expert on artificial intelligence. Clive, artificial intelligence education, we see the rise of many AI softwares, one in particular, ChatGPT. Yep. Please, treat me as a five years old. What is a ChatGPT and how this has become now a phenomena for society to use? Is This is like a... We've been hibernation for past two years in lockdown and suddenly... What's <laughs> ChatGPT? ChatGPT. So the, the history of things like ChatGPT is what we call generative AI. What does that mean? It means it has learned from a very large data set how to answer particular questions and how to formulate a grammatically correct response depending on what you want. So it's been, it has learned how to do this. How does it do that? Machine learning, which is what I used to do for a living um, when God was a boy about 40 <laughs> years ago. Um, sorry, no offence, Ben. No, I like it, ago, I like it, yeah. But a long time ago, I wrote generative AI systems. And my generative AI systems were to do things like battlefield applications, as a matter of fact, um, how to teach a missile to be smart, um, 
how to um, how to do how to uh, do um, missile control in aircraft. Um, those were the sort of applications I was writing. And later on, I did applications that looked at um, cleaning gas compressors on a yeah. gas network, and so on and so forth. So, but the limitation then. So this is the history. The limitation then in the nineteen eighties was that you didn't have enough processing power in your computers and you didn't have access to enough data. Mm. Okay. What we've got and what happened around about, difficult to pinpoint exactly, but where are we, 2023? So probably about, I would say, about uh, 2013, computer power was already growing and it really began to take off. And we and we've got Google came in and, and history. Yeah. We've got masses of data. We've got huge computing power. We've got distributed computing, which multiplies. That means lots of processes doing work on separate parts of a problem. And suddenly we've got this awesome computer power with big data and smart search. And out of that comes applications like ChatGPT. So you've got a really good, well-written algorithm that smart that can search the web and all of the data and can actually come up with rules for answering questions. That's basically, that's at a very fundamental level, that's what it does. So you've got smart search, big data, suddenly you've got this. So we've suddenly got things though that when you answer it, when you ask a question of ChatGP, it'll give you a reasonable answer. Mm. Now, your question to me, uh, just as we were going, like, hey, you know, what, what does it... <laughs> What does it mean for education? And this is something, I'm actually a director of two uh, higher education institutes and I'm the CEO of another part-time. Um, and, uh, and it's something that's bothering the regulator. It's something that's bothering the regulator in particular. Syria wants to get in on the act. That's the yes. difficulty with. Yeah. That's the difficulty with. She hears something else. Like yeah, yeah. That was a Siri. So don't worry, it's for Siri. <laughs> but to go back, yeah. the regulator in Australia and regulators everywhere are concerned about ChatGPT, and rightly so. So, the questions I think people have, and, and what we're seeing is universities saying, "Oh, we ban ChatGPT." Now, with great respect to my academic colleagues, too late. The genie is out of the bottle. Okay. Well and truly, and it ain't going back anytime soon. So it's here. So how you told me not to be afraid of artificial well, intelligence. You be, because you can you can pull the plug or you can manage it differently. And that's the point. Okay. It's how we manage its use. Okay. The cheating that people oh, we're gonna have massive cheating, chat GPT cheating. Chat GPT in the cheat. It's the people using chat GPT that are the cheat. Okay, don't start to me this way. Weapons don't kill the people. People kill the people. No, no, no. no, no. But it, it's it's the people. It's the people. Yeah. Who are using it? Are what we're saying is they they are losing academic integrity. So how should we accepting that it's here? How are we going to manage it? How we manage it? We get smart about how we set up assessments. Okay. Okay. Uh, can I just write? So I was particularly, I was on Friday, I was shocked. I knew you coming in the studio, right? And, uh, you know, as I said, like every time when I see you, like, you know, I, f I feel, I feel, I feel so good. I feel empowered, you know, can here. I just say you are going to have to get out more. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> By the way, your hairstyle, you copy me this time. So, uh, Cinnamon Herald on uh, March 14, uh, printer says, medical science students were told to use chat GPT. This is what it wrote. And basically, uh, the assignment wants 180 students to compose a question about contemporary medical challenges and ask GPT to write an essay on it. And uh, in reverse engineering, they say they want to ask GPT so they can do the sectomy student itself what's wrong with the, with the essay. Now, I think, particularly people like myself, who are not English-speaking background, mm -hmm. even I was testing chat GPT because I tried to apply for something. I don't know what to apply for because, you know, it doesn't make a sense. It's not in my head. So I was punching some things relating to YouTube and everything else. My, I deliberately purposely wrote it grammatically wrong words, mm -hmm. you know, they're not correct. Yeah. Yet he gave me the proper answer. Mm -hmm. So who I going to ask for the proper English? Ask Mateo, my son. He says to me, Daddy, it's grammatically correct. I said, bullshit. It cannot be correct. So you're telling me that in my shitty English, I can type something, question, query, and give me proper English. But yeah. this is what worried me. Okay, so two things on that. Yes. First of all, in its current model, which is 3.5, It's 4.0. No, it's 3.5 at the moment. It's widely available. Oh. 4.0 is being launched very soon. But at the moment, it's okay. 3.5. It's about to go to 4.0. Okay, yeah. 3.5, the first thing is, if they've asked them to give contemporary developments, mm. they're not. Because ChatGPT is a learning set. So ChatGPT has learned how to answer questions from a learning set. And its learning set was frozen at September 2021. Okay. So I, d I, I tried this out the other day. I said, can you tell me um, recent developments in risk management post-2021? Yeah. And the answer was no, because my learning set, and it goes up to 2021. So if we want to so – it's the way that we deal with it in universities, you can't ban it. It's it is, it, 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 how can you tell? It's just impossible. There's two problems, by the way. I want to come back to the other yeah, one. I want to know. I want to know. Okay. There's, another, there's another issue that we've got to deal with as well in this set. But if we actually set assessments that require research into recent or current work and make it in particular a, a particular field, then ChatGPT can only give you the general stuff that it's already learned. If you want it to be from 2023... It can't. It hasn't got the information. Now, that may have changed with four. I don't know. I haven't looked enough at mm -hmm. four. So that's the first thing. If we assess university students appropriately, then if we build the assessment in such a way, then, then yes, it just becomes another tool, just as much as Dr. Google becomes is a tool, okay, for learning, for, for researching stuff. We can go and find information out, but we've still got to put it into a framework that's really that's, quite that's that's the first thing. So it's the way that it's used. The second thing is, is and this may be an unpopular opinion, but when I was very lucky, as Mario's aware, I was very fortunate. I, I worked at Cambridge for a couple of years. Now, it's a very different system. Cambridge has a collegiate uh, higher education system. Yeah. So does Oxford, so does Yale, so does Harvard the great universities of the world are like this, uh, Sydney too. What you have is you have teaching groups in tutorials which have 
a maximum of six or seven students in them. Yeah, okay. And you teach them across the course of the year. They're called supervisions at Cambridge. That's the difference. Yeah, yeah. Okay. If you go to a, a, a uh, another type of university, um, pick any one in the world you like. There's, there's, yeah. there's, I don't know how many there are in, 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 uh, in the world. In, yeah. in my, my own, in my country of origin, there's one called the University of Wolverhampton. It's the city I was born in. I can tell you that the likelihood is that tutorials will have 40 students in them. Now, what's the chance if you set an essay, okay? If you've got seven students, you will know what their style is like. Yes, that, that is correct, yes. You'll yes. know exactly yes. what their style is like. Yeah. If you've got 40 students and you are a mortal person, which most lecturers are, despite what some of them might think, but they are actually mortal, how like on it. earth are they going to be able to tell you what the style of each one of their 40 students is? The answer is they can't. Mm. They can't tell you. So that's one. Now, I'm not blaming anybody for that. That's just a consequence of what I call the massification of higher education. As higher education has gone to the masses, which is appropriate, it's not, it's not about anything being elitist or anything, then there is a consequence associated with that. And if we don't set assessments correctly for students, then it's going to create problems. Now, a lot of students have been using a piece of artificial intelligence for a long time now, for at least five, six years. It's called Grammarly. I heard that one. Yeah, I was using that one as well. Yeah. I use Grammarly. Why do I use Grammarly as a writer? I use Grammarly because I write in a certain style. I've been taught to write in academic style. If I want to write a blog post and I want to write it in a more accessible style, then I will put the settings to Grammarly to make it more accessible. I've written the stuff originally. Yes. Not that it's not my work. But I want an editor to actually go through. Check your, and, yes. Now, what I don't want to do is to keep going through an editor and pay yes. a small fortune to an editor. I'll tell you a story about an editor in a moment. <laughs> and so yes. Grammarly does that. And to an extent, it's, it's, it's a similar, it's not the same, but it's similar with ChatGPT. If it's your stuff in the first place and you're writing the right structure, I don't have a huge issue. What I have an issue with is... If the essay that comes from the tutor is, give me 5,000 words on uh, Porter's Five Forces, yeah. which is a popular model in, in uh, business, then, yeah, because Porter's Five Forces dates back to uh, 1980, ChatGPT is going to go and give you 5,000 words and it's going to be grammatically correct and utterly correct on Porter's Five Forces. It's, and it's, but the problem is... Everybody who asks for it is going to get the same answer. See, that's what I ask you. I, that's what you say like for the students, and if they have the same query, the chances that ChatGPT is going to give them... If not the same, it's going to be very, very similar. That's a very, very similar because one thing what I... Now, again, I, I don't blame you. Actually, I'm very thankful because uh, by enrolling in university, I learn how to read. That was number one. I still don't know how to read like you, like, you know, I still need, like, my God, like. But one thing I learned when I started university that why nobody couldn't uh, uh, fake in front of you. Mm -hmm. Because one thing what you learn in university, it's an argument, counter argument, I need to have the reference, it's not opinion. Because if Mario Becker's wants to have opinion, and I was being told at the beginning many, many times, Mario, uh, did you read the question? I don't need your opinion, I need your 
assessment essay on I was like what that's now there's no links and don't go into Google and don't don't do this and I was like oh my god I need to really read the books while reading the books I realized that um, it's abundant wealth of knowledge being written decades before my birth and uh, today it's still applicable but Clive gives me something uh, what angers me actually that's my question is that we are still witnessing particularly in last two three years the rise of people on the internet who are entrepreneurs and the gurus and you know the self-made millionaires all these ones who are stipulating that education is not important right why would you pay so much money to professors who don't living the life to teach you about something mm. because the academics right when you can save that money and become entrepreneur and become the rich that's what angers me, angers me because now i'm still very little front of you always gonna be but at least i know now to recognize when someone talks to me by opinion base and i know that i should not listen but why do people have a tendency to listen on internet self-proclaimed knowledgeable gurus and entrepreneurs rather than to sit behind the screen and learn either online or in a personal university it's i guess it's it's this business it's the marketplace for ideas what i would call it and i mean i'm i'm in a couple of these um, entrepreneurial schools yeah and what's very interesting is that my, my two are quite a I won't name them, but my two are really good. Yeah. And the reason they're really good is because somebody understands it, somebody who understands education has put the core cu curriculum together in both cases. Yeah. And, it's, and it's quite well done. And one of them is very well done. Um, so that's, when they're done like that, that's, I don't have so much of an issue. The issue that you've got is, there's, there's two things I think that distinguish them. If we call them the commercial thought leaders, let's let's give that, which is yes. I'm, I'm yeah, one yeah, of those. I yeah. do do commercial thought leadership. Then what those are is they are heavy on excuse me, yeah, they're heavy on marketing, and they're heavy on presentation, but also they're heavy on accessibility. So they they make things really simple. One of the things that I first encountered when I joined the one group that I'm in was that I was told my ideas were too complex. <laughs> and they still are. But I mean I, I So you agree, yeah? I write oh yeah. I write um I write little um notes, uh, little uh, vignettes of thought leadership uh, uh which contain basically a, a model, a, a metaphor. I explain the idea in detail, I explain where I get the references from and I explain and then I give a story to to, to give yeah. an example. Mine are still, mine are complex. And I've got, um, the last time I looked, I think I've got 1,300 pieces of, of thought leadership like oh my this. God, yeah. Okay? Each one's a blog. Yeah, yeah. A blog post. So I'm slowly working through them. And they're also, <laughs> uh, they're also, uh, so I'm working through them slowly. But they're still too complex. And that's, and I think that that's the key. What the guys who appear on the internet do is they distill things down to the essence what people like me do is we tend to make things too complex and very difficult to access. And this is an argument that's been going on for decades, by the way. Yeah. It's not just recently. This has been going on for an age. And that is that 
not all academics, some, uh, particularly American academics, are very good at writing accessible material. But some academics have a tendency to write in a style that is almost impenetrable because they are using self-referential language, they're using very specialised language, they're using very um, arcane techniques. Now, there's nothing wrong with that per se, but what it makes it is it makes it very difficult for perfectly intelligent business people to come along and, and look and go, but I don't understand that language. And that's 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 the big problem. The other the other issue I think is that the commercial thought leaders will go after uh, issues that are well known. So mm. my particular specialism happens to be yeah. in wicked wicked problems, which is to do with either chaotic or complex problems.